Hey everybody, welcome to the Pop My Culture Podcast. I'm Cole Stratton. <laughs> and that's Suction Cup Annie. <laughs> Hello! That was me popping our culture. It's oh. Vanessa Ragland oh, with the pop sound effects from I see out what of you this did world. There. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Uh, today, uh, our guest is fantastic. Uh, I used to do improv with him many, many years ago, and I'm glad. Uh, he's usually in New York. He's just here for uh, pilot season for a little bit. Uh, Scott Adsit is our guest. And he's delightful. Yep. He uh, he played Pete on 30 Rock, and he was the voice of Baymax in Big Hero 6. And, and he's probably been on tons of stuff that all you comedy nerds are already like, oh, yeah. Yep. Moral Oral, which was on Adult Swim. He's yep. in that thing. So, uh, yeah. So we'll get to that in a second. Just a tiny bit of housekeeping before we get to it. Uh, if you like the show, uh, go to iTunes, leave us a review. Just look up Pop My Culture Podcast, then click on review, click five stars, say thanks for the good time. Yep. And please be nice. <laughs> I don't read them anymore, so you can be as mean as you want. <laughs> uh, you can also email us. Info at popmyculturepodcast.com. We read them all. We'll write you back and uh, just say hello. It's guess. great to hear from you. We've gotten great guest suggestions from you guys, and yep. some of them we get to make happen. So keep that up, because... Sometimes you guys think of people that were like, of course, we should try to find them. Right. We are located in Los Angeles, so it's hard for us to get like your suggestions to Canada. people from London <laughs> or, or uh, New York, unless they happen to be coming through town and that yeah. works out. Um, but yeah, we try our best to get as many interesting, great people on here as we can. And uh, hopefully you'll love the people we have lined up. Yeah. And uh, let's see what else. Uh, if you like the show, you can also uh, donate to That's the show. That's right. We are listener supported. So if you go to popmyculturepodcast.com, there's a little donate button, and every little bit you give helps us to keep the show going. Yep. And we'll give you a shout out on a future episode. The ultimate Valentine. You bet. I think we have a couple of people, but we're going to save it till next episode. Yeah. Uh, and we'll do it then. So sorry about that. <laughs> your shout out is coming your way. But we have a great episode that we just uh, recorded. Yeah. We just shot it to the can. <laughs> In HD. Um, and uh, Scott's a great guest. And I'm really yeah. glad that he came by and was happened to be in town. And yeah. uh, we made it happen finally. So uh, enjoy the episode, you guys. And we'll be right back with Scott Edson. Wow. Our guest today, well, uh, he's an old friend of mine. He's a great actor and now voiceover artist and improviser. Uh, you know him as Pete Hornberger in 30 Rock and now as Baymax in Big Hero 6. Scott Adsit is here. Hello, Scott. Good morning. Welcome. Thank you very much. I You've... like your house a lot. Thank you so much. It's very, like, kid-friendly, but it's all, the, all the really cool stuff is up high, which is interesting. We don't want the kid <laughs> to touch any of our nice things. <laughs> He's a monster. <laughs> You've got to hide the valuables. It's, you know, it'll inspire him to get taller. Yeah. That's the oh, thing. That's nice. It's all up to the kid. We want to be a kid. Heights up to the kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so sad. <laughs> Wouldn't that be weird? Like, you could just tell a short person, yeah, you just didn't want to. You didn't try hard enough, hon. <laughs> Guess you weren't reaching for the stars. Mm. Uh, well, thanks for being here, Scott. Thank you. Uh, well, let's start with uh, maybe I'm the only one to watch this, but uh, SNL 40 just happened. Mm-hmm. Did you tune into the three and a half hour extravaganza? Sure Scott? did, yeah. Uh, it was uh, it was pretty fun overall. I think I laughed out loud a lot. Yeah, me too. I thought that Jeopardy scene was great. I thought it was great too. Yeah, they did a good job of like bringing back things that you loved and stuff, and still doing sketches instead of just a bunch of you know Clips. clip reels, yeah. which there were plenty of. But I, th- I really admired uh, Will Ferrell in his uh, economy of that performance as Trebek because he is the straight man in that, and and yeah. he's one of the funniest things about it. And that's really a a great comedian who can play straight, but still, you know, without 
pushing it be one of the funniest things in it. Yeah, for sure. So I have not watched it yet. I don't know. I'll blame the baby. Um, but I'm going to. But I don't really understand what it is. It's a it's a new episode, but also with well, tributes to everyone. It's sort of like, did you see SNL 25 when they did yeah. that? It's like that, but okay. longer. <laughs> now they have 40 years to celebrate. So it was like a bunch of the cast and mm-hmm. a bunch of the guest hosts and other celebrities and people like Dakota Johnson are also there. Oh, um, Well, the audience was made up of all of people who have worked on the show, either on or off camera. Oh, that's so awesome. I saw Lorraine had been posting a bunch of photos, and it was yeah. like, everyone was there. That's so cool. Yeah, pretty much everybody was there. Eddie Murphy was there, and he hadn't been back since he left. Oh, wow. So he didn't do much. Like, they, Chris Rock gave him a big uh, introduction, Hug. and they oh. came out and said, hey, thanks. It means a lot to me that you guys love the show, so go to commercial now. That's <laughs> kind of it. But it was still cool that he was there, yeah. considering he pretty much had, like, turned his back on it in a lot of ways. Um Considering like he really did save that show at the time where it was struggling and they put him on it and then he broke out. So well, there were people complaining online in the reviews about uh, Chevy and uh, and Eddie not putting any effort into being there, right? Apart from being there, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't know if I agree with that. I mean they they are there. They came out. They were humble. Yep. They you know Eddie Eddie was very humble and. Uh, thanked everybody and said this is like coming back to high school and all that oh. and um and there was no like irony he just enjoyed being there which yeah. i appreciated and chevy came out and did a bit a very old bit from weekend update but he also almost fell down which would right. have been funny but tragic mm. um but he came out he went he you know he's also chevy's come under a lot of fire yeah yeah for just being an asshole, which he, you know, tends to be, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, he, he came out and he, he, he looked a little like unwell mm. and I appreciated that he was there at all. And wasn't an asshole. It sounds like, well, I, I don't know what happened back. <laughs> at least on screen. Some people were happy with his <laughs> Well, his intro got really botched anyways, cause it was all the other weekend update anchors and like, Colin Quinn had a joke about him screwing his jokes up, and then he screwed that joke up, which was kind of amazing <laughs> in so many ways. Yeah. And then Norm just, I don't know what he was doing, but... He, uh, he went off-road. Yeah, everybody was cracking up at him because he was taking the long way around to uh, introducing him. Um, but yeah, he just kind of came out semi-tripped and said, thanks, means a lot, and that was it, which is fine. You know, other people were more involved. Uh, they did a Californian sketch, which mm-hmm. I think Lorraine wrote with Fred because I remember oh, really? saying something about them writing it, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of these people piled into it, like Bradley Cooper was a pool boy. Um, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. We're spoiling this Really? Movie. Yep. No, it's okay. There's all sorts of It'll uh, still be cameos and things. And then there's the thing they did on Weekend Update where they had the th- like three female anchors, say for Cecily Strong, because she's too recent, I guess. But it was Tina and Amy and Jane Curtin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jane was super great on it she was really funny um and uh jane is the unsung hero of that show for me yeah I and, and lorraine too yeah well wait what has jane been up to is there like well, she's been she's constantly acting since mm-hmm. um and she's on a show now called the librarians what's that on um tbs i think hmm. i did i had no idea she is so good so good i gotta catch yeah. up with people she was great and um, but one of the things they had on Weekend Updates, they said like, well, some of our you know celeb friends want to pay tribute to some of their favorite character bits because that's always like the thing on Weekend Updates. So Emma Stone did Roseanne, Roseanne and Anna, um, 
And this this stuff was met with like if you go online, you read people's accounts of it. Some people thought it was a great tribute, and other people were like really offended by the fact that they allowed it to happen, yeah. so to speak. So yeah, Emma Stone did that. Um, Edward Norton was Stefan, um, but then so was uh, Bill Hader, which is uh, great. Um, I think it was meant to be like a tribute to the fans, yeah. Who who oh. like myself memorized all these scenes, yeah. When VCRs were invented, and uh, and it's kind of a, a tribute to the idea of it being cultish and. The problem was it was people coming out and doing what we at home feel we could do better. Right. <laughs> what were your first SNL favorites? Um, well, I started watching it in the first year. Uh, and I, just anything Belushi did I thought was great. Mm-hmm. Anything, anything, anytime Ackroyd was rapid fire, <laughs> speaking was great. Um, and I really hooked into something that they've kind of lost I think out of necessity, which is kind of like scenic scenes. Yeah. Seem more like little one act plays um, that are really funny, but also speak of a human condition rather than a a pop culture reference. Yeah. I was rewatching some of the oldest clips lately. I think because so many people passed away this year that kept kind of making you go into the archives to rewatch their stuff. And I loved the tone of those first few seasons where they would just try things that were so much about character and performance and not so much even about bits, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I think I think it's sad that that's gone, and I get why it has. I think our attention spans have changed, and I think like clip-watching has changed everything. But that really allowed performers to shine in a way that just doesn't happen now. It's a different time, too, because now everybody on the show since, I guess, since the 80s... Uh, are comedy nerds who, yeah. who really admire SNL and yeah. want to be on SNL. And, and the first cast were theater nerds who really oh, that's breaking a bounds great point. in right. comedy in the theaters and Second City and Groundlings and things like that and finding new forms of, uh, of communicating that. And now it's more kind of a, a reflection. It's not so much finding new ground as, as twisting what's already come and, and try and, and kind of vanish in a way. Yeah. I never yeah. thought about that. Everybody's trying to find their character and their catchphrase and, and that kind of thing. And if you go back and like, I, I read the split sider review of, of the 40 thing. And, and that guy was saying how basically like everybody, if you're under 40, you've, it's been here your entire life. So if it's, Everybody has their own, their cast, so mm-hmm. to speak. When they watched it, like you know what it was. You know, I was born in in seventy six, so like I did watch the original cast, but more so on the reruns and stuff like that. So for me, it was more of the Phil Hartman, Dana Carvey, you know, into the Sandler, Farley years. All that stuff was kind of like when I was in high school and junior high and stuff, and I was really really into it. The reviewer on Split Sider was more like his was the Will Ferrell, yeah, me too. The, you know, those years because mm-hmm. they were you know a little bit younger than me and stuff. It's always interesting to think that everybody has their you know their core seven to 10 years when they were, would watch it on a Saturday night. And now it's different now because you just DVR it and watch yeah. it whenever. But then mm-hmm. it was literally like, Hey, let's watch it's this time live. for it. Yeah. Or set a tape if you could figure it out. But that was about it. But it's weird to think that like this thing has been here constantly. And there's people that complain about the show all the time and say, it's not funny or it's never been funny or it's not consistently funny. It's like, well, look, it's Saturdays at 11.30 p.m. It's not taking time away from anything <laughs> else that would be there in, that, in its place. So, like, it's an institution, and it's... And it probably is speaking to someone that's not exactly you. I mean, like, in the way... Because the Will Ferrell cast was my... You know, when I was watching the most... Um, or when I was the youngest watching. But I'm sure there's people now that, for them, this is their cast, and they totally... It, you know, it sings to them in a different way. 
It yeah. just seems like it has to always be like that. It's answering to a little bit of a different generation. It's, it's always as terrible now. It was better then. Yeah. With every generation. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and like all the new players that come in and stuff, like for their first couple of seasons, either they break out or they don't, or they just do a few things here and there, and you think they're terrible. Then all of a sudden, like you know, I'm sure like when Terry Killam came on the cast, you didn't think much about him at first, but now you love him. Like it's that kind of thing. Like they eventually find their footing, or they don't. And they're only their first season, they leave or whatever. Yeah. But there's always going to be breakout stars and people that will go places from it, and others that won't succeed as well. It's hard to say why exactly, but. You know, the thing, if, even if you don't love the show, it definitely has influenced comedy and film and TV and all these people have broken out of it and gone on to great comedy careers and things too. So I think it's important as a breeding ground for comedians and stuff too. Um, and I know that like Lauren's always been under fire for the shitty contracts mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff too. But, you know, what he's given people is a chance to really establish themselves on that scene. So, yeah. you know, it's an important show for that. So yeah, the, the special was long and it was, you know, bloated. three and a half hours. At first, I didn't know how long it was going to be. I was like, I got to imagine it's at least two hours. Did it start at 1130? I think it was no. prime time, right? It was prime oh, time. Okay. And they had like a whole red carpet special too because there were so many people there. So really, and it was the most watched NBC program since 2006. What was it in 2006? I don't know. <laughs> the Bachelor. <laughs> no. But still, like, for that's a huge coup for them, yeah. you know, considering that. SNL's very much all over the place in the ratings. It doesn't necessarily rate that highly, but because it's on Saturdays at 1130, like, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> in a sense. But yeah, it was long, um, but there's lots of great cameos and a lot of good people, and, and you could tell it was not very well rehearsed, if at all. <laughs> but that was, probably made it feel more fun. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Also, it would have been a crazy wrangling job to, to make a cohesive rehearsal. If they did have a real rehearsal, I'd be very surprised. Yeah, hey, Taylor, can you arrive? <laughs> like, oh my God, I can't even imagine right evidently this is showing me that the <laughs> it was the, uh, the the last high thing was a friends clip show For, during the season series finale the series oh. finale of friends okay so there you go there it is so listeners at home sense. so from that standpoint it's a big success and i'm yeah. glad that people were curious about it and people were live tweeting it like it was an award show or whatever so um, that was pretty cool. And just following people's like Instagrams, you know, like Lorraine and stuff like mm-hmm. that too, just to see all of them hanging out. And it was pretty, it was pretty cool. I'm just glad it happened. You guys are friends with Lorraine? Yeah. Yeah. She's, uh, she's so wonderful. She's a wonderful, wonderful lady. I've worked with her a few times. She's so cool. She's great. Class yeah. act and so smart and funny. I just love her. So funny. Um, yeah, I, I'm doing Sunday company at Groundlings and so everybody was sort of buzzing about it because it was Groundlings 40th anniversary this year as well. Um, but I, I know so many people from that theater have gone on to work there and I can't, I can't wait to watch it because it's an important part of like nostalgia of what's funny. And Apparently not very important. Yeah. No. Oh, no, no, no. It is important. I just, I, I mean, my baby, you know, mm. it's the baby. So the baby's more important than your career, than your history. You're right. I've got my priorities. Fucked. <laughs> the Maya DVR does this weird thing sometimes where like it shows that it's recorded the whole thing within the last like 15 minutes. It just has, hasn't. And it'll pop up and be like, delete. And you're like, what? So I did the same thing for me on that. Cause I had to, do, I was watching but there's like, gonna be a couple hours after it. And so the thing I missed was the Wayne's World sketch, which is online anyway. So I just, like, I just looked up a recap of what did I miss and then went and found it. So mm-hmm. I guess the internet's good for that kind of thing. So like if you do miss something, you can usually find it somewhere yeah. for the fact. Uh, and that sketch was actually pretty solid. Um, I don't know if they needed all the musical performances that they needed. I mean, it, it's cool that those people were there, but um, I could tell like with like Miley and Kanye was them just attempting to stay connected to the younger viewers and keep them. You got to keep the, the kids show. happy. Yeah. 
Well, when, you, when you've got Paul and Paul singing their songs, I mean, they're great, obviously, but it is it is about yesterday, mm. and, yeah. and SNL wants to be about today, which it, which it still is. Yeah, very much so. So it was cool. I'm glad, Next. I'm glad it happened. Whoa. Jeez. <laughs> All right, fine. We'll talk about Fifty Shades of Grey. Perfect. Well, I know you guys tuned in this weekend. <sighs> Sorry. So this past weekend, Fifty Shades of Grey and Kingsman the Secret Service opened. Um, Fifty Shades did huge business, like $94 million domestically or whatever, and like over $200 million worldwide Peanuts. or something. Ridiculous. For, for Twilight fan fiction to do as well as it's doing. Uh, you saw it, Vanessa? I did see it. I uh, <laughs> feel great about myself. I'm going to just say happy we'll Valentine's it. Day. I read all the books. Wow, are, so you love them. No. Yes, you did. Why? I devoured them. So, yes. Meaning you killed them? No, no, Wait, no. Wait, all the books? There's more than one? Oh, there's three. Oh, or maybe shit. there's four. I don't remember. Does that mean there's um, going to be multiple movies then? They hope so. Oh. The end is a cliffhanger. Multiple movie. Um, they're trying to build a franchise. What are they called? So it's Fifty Shades of Grey, and then it's like Twenty Three Shades of Puce. Uh, <laughs> Eighteen. I don't remember of- the names. Well, they're such trash, but they're kind of. It's like a junk magazine. It's like sort of delightful and funny and bad um, yeah, and sexy. Also, did you and, get turned on reading it? Yeah, even though it's horrible. It's just like ooh, dirty. Uh, but the movie's not dirty enough. And is 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 the subject matter outside your personal realm of experience? <laughs> Uh, yeah. And it's something that you're interested in or just like to observe or think about? Uh, kind of neither. Like, I don't really want to think about... I don't know. I, I was kind of trying to figure it out watching the movie. Like, what is sexy about the books? Because I have other friends that have also read them. And, like, you know, everyone openly admits they're horrible. But for some reason, like, it's really fun to read. And I don't know if it's because women don't like to watch porn as much. Like, I get nothing from that. I don't ever read erotica. It was just these books became mainstream. So I read them. And then it's like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe that's fun. So I don't know if it was the novelty of it. Because so you've never read, like, Anne Rice's domination no. S&M books. No, I didn't know those existed. Yeah, maybe you know who Anne Rice is? Yes, she's the vampire lady. Yeah, yeah. and she wrote a whole bunch of like uh, fairy tale. The Snow closest I came is the other Boleyn girl, and those kind of have like sexy like period pieces, you know. Um, but I don't know what was. But there so... must be better erotic fiction. Out there. I'm sure there is. No, I think that's kind of where I'm going. Like, I think maybe the novelty is what's you know what it is. Exciting though? I to think women? there's better erotic fiction, but there's not better erotic fiction that everybody you know has read. So but you can soundboard off of each other. Why this? Why not better erotic fiction? I don't know. I I don't know why this is blew it up it like is this. Very simple, and anyone can read it. I don't. I don't. I have no idea because I'm not familiar with the genre. But I know for me, it started. Jenny Mullen came on our podcast. Jenny and she had read it before it was like a thing, and she was like, "You have to read it. It's it's like delightful." And I started reading it. and I was like, "Oh my god, this is so bad." But I mean, I read. I read good books, too, but I will fully admit I've read the Twilight books. I've read all the shitty stuff. Um, <laughs> and you can know how horrible it is, and it's still kind of fun to read. Are you read. fanish about Twilight? No. No. So you don't, you don't pick a team? No. Okay. Um, but I, when I was reading, I was like, definitely Team Edward. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you do <laughs> contradicting yourself. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, outside of the books, no. But if I was reading <laughs> I've, I'm on my side, um, but the books outside of the football games, I don't root for the Lions. Well, no, you know what it's like <laughs> when they're playing. Wait, but do you know what I mean? If you're watching the Super Bowl and you don't really care, but like while you're watching, you're like, I'm going to root for Buffalo, okay. the Buffalo Bills, uh-huh. until so I can. But have I'm not going to buy party. a T-shirt. Yeah, but I, and I'm not going to ever check up on them to see like how they're doing until the next book comes out. 
Correct. Or the movies. Because that's the only time you can check up on them. You know that. Right? <laughs> no, no, no. There's fan boards. I could be on message boards. I could be writing fanfic. <laughs> oh, you could be a billionaire. All right. Oh, my God. That does make me sad. Um, I don't know why the <laughs> books or the movies... I guess I can consume trash like anybody else, and it's kind of delightful. I'm just going to wait for the Penthouse Forum movie, you know, Ooh. where people wrote the letters in a penthouse. Well, that should be a movie, but this movie shouldn't <laughs> have been made. Fifty Shades of Grey. It was, I'll say it was a really, John and I went, poor John. We did have fun, though, because it was a sold-out movie, and the whole theater, like, was kind of delighted by how bad it was. Could and you smell the hormones in the air? Opposite. It was the least sexy thing you've ever seen. It was so snoozy and weird. Is anyone like, laughing? We were all laughing. Like there are these lines that are like, "I don't have, I don't make love, I fuck hard." But it's like, like I w- I walked out of there mortified that I read the books. Like I don't know what my imagination did that made it exciting because the movie they're saying like words from the book and it's so embarrassing. Damn. I don't know. Now I want to go and when people are laughing, I want to sit up and go, "Guys, <laughs> you're ruining my erection." I'm, I'm in the middle of something. This um, is really important. But they sexually keep trying charged to like up. they're trying to make it about the story in the movie and like that's the book is. Not not about the story it's just about trying to get turned on like that's the only re- reason people are reading it it's not like you actually care it's just like you want to read the sexy parts mm-hmm. and in the movie the sexy parts are like really tamed down and also they keep playing like ain't no sunshine when she's gone like to try to make it moody so too much fun cake not enough uh cream fuck, fuck. yeah uh <laughs> that's my review and also jamie doran's too it doesn't work he it's and too, Dakota Johnson short. Oh, oh, too short. That's what didn't work for you. Well, he should be. I don't. I don't want to show all my kid. cards, but I feel he like didn't if, want they, want if they cast Chris Hemsworth, maybe I could have gotten into. <laughs> well, it was Charlie Hunnam. I know that would have been much better. And Dakota out. Johnson, like snooze, snooze, snooze. It was just. It was funny to watch in a group. It was. I don't remember the last time I saw something that was like that many audience members like cheering against the movie, but in a really fun way. Um, well, right there, that's one of the reasons that the movie wouldn't work for me in a sense. Was like, from my understanding, the books were successful in a sense because it was Twilight fan fiction in a sense that it was like she's a mousy kind of every woman. Like that, you just are pretending in. that somebody. I, I was trying to tell John because it is like so embarrassing that I read those, especially after seeing the movie. And I was like, I think when you're reading it, all you want to do is like. Pretend that you're the girl that someone is just like so into. Like, right. That's what's She's, delightful. That you're the object of someone's complete desire. Even if you're not into what they're doing, it's like, oh, they want you so bad. Oh, like they had changed their life for you. So it's a power trip. Yeah, like a mental power trip of just being like an object of someone's affection in an intense way, which I think is a very female, like, you just want someone to think that nobody else can tell how pretty you are, but this guy thinks you're the prettiest person. It's right. Really it's sad. supposed to be like the and every woman that gets yes. that's desired after, right? So then you make a movie and you hire Dakota Johnson, who and is she's the, not me, the gorgeous daughter of Don Johnson and Melanie Griffith, which is like Hollywood royalty yeah. in a sense. Like, how does that work? Well, yeah, it should have been Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, now that woman, thing. we could have all gotten mine. <laughs> but like, he gets it. He sees inside her mm-hmm. to her beauty. Yeah. Well, I uh, don't think anybody needs to give the movie any more money. Oh, and if you guys look up, Drew Drogi wrote the funniest review of that movie. Um, so I would just Google Drew Drogi Fifty Shades of Grey because it's, it's my favorite thing about the movie coming out. It's perfect. I just have no no interest in it whatsoever. I just can't. I went and saw I saw sense. I went and saw Kingsman Secret Service, which was totally great and a lot of fun. And people should go see that instead. It's like it's Matthew Vaughn directed it. It's based on graphic novels. It's completely ridiculous. Is there a the red top. room of pain? <laughs> because 
That's what I'm waiting. No, but you have Colin Firth, you know, beating the shit out of people with an umbrella. I mean, it's pretty very like the Avengers. That works. Yeah, it's like the Avengers, James Bond kind of send up uh, over the top, like ridiculously choreographed action sequences that are like. There's a sequence just then a church. I won't tell you anyway anything else about that. But like, it's the most insane like three minutes of over the top, ridiculously choreographed, chaotic action that I've seen in a movie in a long time, and it was just really silly and over the top and fun and. Super violent, but sort of comic booky, so it didn't really bother me from that sense. Um, and great. <laughs> There's a couple of things in it that I was like, eh, but for the most part, really dug it. And that's it's doing well. It made like $35 million or something. Eh. But, eh. you know. <laughs> Big Hero 6 opened at the same time uh, in England this past Oh, week. really? Yeah. I forget there's such a delay. Wow. Well, it, they rolled it out slowly across the world. Um, and, uh, and we beat Kingsman. Oh, yeah. There you go. There you go. Speaking of, let's talk a little bit about Big yeah. Hero 6 because it is excellent. It is Thank you. super delightful and Can fun we start with your casting story? I just love, I, I read a little bit about it. Oh, well, I was doing a show called Celebrity Autobiography in New York, which is where celebrities, in quotes, get on stage and read excerpts from other celebrities' autobiographies and just, you just read it and it's hysterical. Like, uh, <clears throat> I do a piece which is David Hasselhoff's experiences on Broadway. Um, and then there's another one, which is Suzanne Summers' poetry. Um, it's a great. We do the show almost every year at Sketchfest. Uh, Eugene Pack and Dale Rayfield pretty much run it, and they get amazing cast of fun people to do it. It's really cool. Yeah. So I was doing that for one night in L.A. in 2013, and two of the casting people from Disney happened to come just for fun, and they were casting the movie. It was very early on in the casting process, and apparently they both looked at each other at the same time while I was doing something. I, was, I had several things to do that night and um, on stage. And, and uh, they called me the next day and asked me to come in, and I had the best uh, audition experience ever because oh. it was a work session where it was like an hour at the Disney Animation Studio, which would have been... This is such a dream. Like, oh. Just hearing the story gives me goosebumps. of like, that's the dream. Well, you know, there's that, that the Disney Animation Studio has that... Uh, that wizard hat yes. on top of it, and mm-hmm. it seems like the chocolate factory. You know, mm-hmm. it's, what's in there? <laughs> so I got to go in there, oh. and uh, and it is a, just a dream place. It's just all this original art on the wall, and all these designs and, and prototypes, and uh, and geniuses behind every door. Right. And so I went into the studio with Don Hall, who was the uh, the only director at that point, uh, and. He and I worked on Baymax with the casting people for about an hour, and nothing changed much. He kind of just liked what I was doing, and I brought, I think, a spin to it. How much did they give you to prep? They gave me... Uh, I mean, did you go they, in yeah, there they gave me, No, they did give me a little bit of script mm-hmm. the night before, but they're very secretive. Yeah. And I had to sign some, you know, confidentiality Some fun stuff. ideas, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Uh, which doesn't really matter because the story changed over the course of the two years that mm. I worked on it uh, a lot, which is what happens apparently in these films every time, is that they start with the story and then as they go, as they animate, as they're storyboarding and as they're recording, they find where the focus should be. And it's just constantly altering. That's a great creative process, I think. And yeah. I think it shows in what they make. And also just the, the idea of collaborating in an audition where it's not so much, you know, impress us, but it's more like, let's see what we can do. That was 
the best. And everybody's so relaxed and confident and uh, friendly and open. And the, the Disney Animation Studio is a great place to work. It must be. I've only been there, you know, a dozen times, but I do know that they collaborate with each other if they're working on separate projects. It's kind of like an artist commune. Ugh. And, you know, if you're working on a movie that's coming out in a year and a half and someone comes into your office and says, the movie we're working on that comes out in six months, I'm having a hard time, you will leave your desk and go work with them for, you know, a week or two. That's so cool. Yeah, it's great. And they, you know, they trust each other and they love each other's input. And I felt, uh, I felt a real part of the process because they were listening to my ideas and the changes I would make in the studio and, and they loved them and they would offer me chances to improvise and stuff like that, which was just so great. great. Yeah. And everybody, all the whole cast had the same experience. Yeah. Yeah. And do you know about the process? Is that typical? I mean, I just, when I read that that's how they found you basically through a show and they liked what you did, that made me just feel like have such confidence in the kind of vision they must have. Did Mm -hmm. they find other people like that, that they knew had backgrounds they appreciated or, I, you know, I don't really know anybody else's casting yeah. story. Um, I know that T.J. Miller is mm-hmm. has become a, a real popular yeah. voiceover artist, um, and he's actually in two Oscar-nominated animated features this year. No big deal. You can't lose. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and everybody else, I think they just fit the personalities really well. Did you guys get to work together much as a cast? We met for the first time at the very first screening. Oh my gosh. Film. Wow. Yeah. Uh, John Lasseter did something unprecedented, which was a um, cocktail and dinner party uh, with a centerpiece being the screening of the film they had finished, finally put the final edit on uh, two hours before <gasps> the party. Oh my gosh. And uh, crazy. And so the, the cast met and we watched the film and then we went upstairs and, uh, and ha- at the animation studios and had... Uh, a big banquet, fairy tale. With about thirty of us, yeah. Oh my gosh! With crew and uh, and like department heads and and the cast and and Lasseter welcomed us into the Disney family like in a real official way. Wow! Yeah, it was that pretty, is... it was pretty heady. He was saying like you know before the movie, the the directors uh, Don and Chris and then the producer Roy got up and thanked the cast. It was kind of a party for the cast and uh, and thanked us individually and, and commented on what things we'd done individually for the film. And then Lasseter got up there. It was John Lasseter who, mm-hmm. who invented Pixar and, and now is in charge of both Pixar and Disney animation. And he directed Toy Story and everything like that. Yeah, it's so amazing. He said, uh, you know, you, you people now are part of a family. That's going to make me cry. Mm. He said like, you are in the same family as Snow White and Ugh. Peter Pan and the Little Mermaid and all of that. That, that just oh my gosh, crazy. That's, yeah, that's about crazy. as magical like, as it gets. You get a gig. Gigs are you know gig, all gigs are good gigs if it's a gig, right? Yeah. But to do a Disney film, a Disney mm. Pixar film, especially like you're now in the canon of something that's gonna like it's gonna be forever ish. You know? like they're going to keep getting passed on from generation yeah, to generation. Yeah, it's just such an indelible part of everyone's childhood. Like it's, those films yeah. form us, you know? It's going to go in the vault. It's mm-hmm. going to come out of the vault. Ah, <laughs> you get to be in the vault. vault. <laughs> come out of the vault. Like constantly. It's amazing to me that, like, 
that that's a that's a thing, you know. Like there's people that get, that get voice work on some weird like oh I was in Cats Don't Dance, you know, <laughs> like it's never going to be heard of again. But when you go into this particular hey, Cats Don't Dance, thing, it's, it's a different world. It's yeah. a different world, especially to do something like Baymax, who I think is you know the breakout thing in that film, and it will be. Like, if you go to Disneyland now, and I go quite often because I have, like, a pass and stuff, like, there's balloons. They have these giant Baymax balloons that are, like, around the park, and you see people with them. It's like, oh, it's, like, an iconic – it's, like, Josh Gad being Olaf yeah. from Frozen. Like, that's an iconic breakout character from that film, and I feel like that's, like – all of the, there's a lot of great characters in Big Hero 6, but Absolutely. it's Baymax's movie in a lot of ways. So that's, like totally – Well, Baymax is a hero. Their relationship becomes the center yeah, of it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, but it's just amazing to me that – that, that's a thing that for congratulations I know it's and cool. great job like oh, what a what a combo <laughs> to get it and then nail it <laughs> were there I mean I'm assuming that a lot of it was scripted and stuff like that were there certain improvisations of yours that you're proud made it into the film like was, um, was puddle was that like a thing? yeah that was um, it was their idea to to not have to have him not know how to make a <laughs> sound right but the, he, they said just make a make some noises so i tried a few and they i think they took, took the first one i did nice. and um and like the drunk stuff i was improvising nice uh um i know tj got to improvise quite a lot because fred is kind of a loose cannon uh his character and um uh, the thing is i had to learn a lot of technical speak medical stuff oh i'm sure yeah and uh, practically none of it made it into the film. We we did a oh bunch of like you know very long medical terms that I would describe to people as as I scanned them, uh, and it just I think it got in the way, so they just decided no, nah, let's just keep it simple. Uh, but it was a lot. There was a lot of stuff that was very precise, uh, so there wasn't a lot of room for Baymax to improvise, apart from when he was drunk or being a little silly. Right, because he is all business, uh, and and pretty much everything he he says, at least in the first half of the film, is stuff that was programmed by his creator. To you know, he's got certain things he says and variables within a sentence, but generally everything's pre-programmed based on anticipating what might be a problem, you know, for his patients. Right, and it's great too that like you know they're they can do as many of these things as they want now. Like it, back in the day, like the second toy story was supposed to be straight to video. Like that was back when you would just make video sequels because there was a market for that. But they realized while they were animating it, like, well, this looks just as good as the first one It's taking just as much time more or less. Let's just make it theatrical and then three and et cetera. Now. So like most of these things will make it back to the theaters. They can be franchises. And then they do like little spinoff shorts and stuff that they put before the other movies. So, like the world continues even after the initial films nowadays, which is pretty great. Too. Do you have a lot of Baymax toys at your house? I do. I have, yeah. I have toys that speak with my voice. Oh, creepy! <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty great. It's a dream come true. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are fun to give people um, who are friends. Don't start writing. Who'd you unpop my culture? He's my dress. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. Congrats! It's such a cool. It's a great, great film. I hope it does very well on Sunday. The weird. I was thinking the other day. Um, and I say this very humbly, uh, that if if this character survives time and people still care about it years later, um, which I have no idea they will do, but 
it means that eventually one day someone I will have to hand the baton. Yeah, to there'll be a new else. you. Yeah, that's so bizarre. I know. I have a friend who um, his whole job is basically he takes over characters like he's Fred Flintstone. He's he's become all these people yeah, that yeah. are no more, and it's an incredible skill like to do that kind of voice match and character match. But I have thought about how bizarre it is to like. Yeah, now you're him. Like, ooh, it's so weird. It's a yeah. big responsibility. They need to, to live to forever. Be Daffy Duck. Yeah. Even yeah. like in the Disney canon, like Sterling Holloway was was Winnie the Pooh, and now it's mm-hmm. Jim Cummings who does an amazing job too. Mm-hmm. And like the fact that a lot of people don't know that it's a different voice actor is pretty incredible too. The was your friend in, in I Know That Voice? Um, yeah, briefly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's such. If anybody hasn't seen I Know That Voice, please watch it. Uh, DiMaggio, he directed it and created it, right? It was, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he produced it for sure. Yeah. Uh, was in charge of it. But it is so interesting. It's and, on Netflix. It's a documentary about yeah. voiceover artists. And yeah. it's really wonderful. You get to see, I mean, we've talked about it a lot on this show because we love voice actors here, but everyone is just so cool and humble and. They're so passionate about what they do. I think it's a, one of my favorite documentaries that's come out in the last few years. Mm. So uh, take a look. And one of the most like supportive communities of actors in general because it's very cutthroat mm-hmm. <laughs> in general uh, to act, especially you know Los Angeles stuff like that too. You all know each other, but you're all secretly rooting against each other at the same time or whatever. But I find that the voice world it's hard not to crack into because there's a lot of people who get a lot of the same jobs or whatever. But they all know each other. They all do these conventions together and things like that too. And you know they don't you know they know that they're not going to get everything. And oh, so and so got that. That's great too. But it's very like it's a fun club and they yeah. all love each other and they all love working together. It's a cool. Yeah, thing. it's funny to walk into a room with them because they have a shorthand uh, way of speaking to each other and they pepper it with voices. Mm-hmm. I I have been to dinner with voiceover people who I didn't know. And uh, and they find their connection to the conversation by doing voices, whether it's famous voices or or whatever they want fits the situation. But they're constantly on. Like, oh yeah, right. we've done a few panels with voiceover actors, and it's so funny. I'm sure listening to them is kind of trippy because everybody's just in and out of different characters they've done, and also doing each other's characters, mm. and like it's just the way they talk to each other. It's its own language, and I think it's. And this, like, they're the one breed of actor I find that like really embraces their catchphrases and their voices yeah. and stuff, and are happy to do them. No, they're never like, oh, I wish I wasn't known for that. It's right. always it's just like a, joy. a lot yeah. of other times, like bands like don't want to play that one song. And I'm like, well, come on, you gave me. Or a actors don't like, want to talk about that cheesy thing that has. I been actually right. know about an SNL actor who I won't name, who went on a date with a friend of mine, and the the. It was the first date. They'd known each other for a little while from work. And the, the guy at, on this first date with someone he already knew uh, started going into his SNL voices and characters at dinner. Oh, it was just no. the two of them. Ah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's mortifying. Yeah. I don't know how you act on the other end. Like, oh, that's always funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's where that must have just been his MO. I was like, well, this works with the normal folks. <laughs> that seals the deal. Panties off in five. But it's also it also means that they embody who they are. They are they you know they love being who they are and they love and it's what an extension of them. Yeah. yeah, 
And if you you know if you want to know me, you have to know these characters, I guess. Right. <laughs> Mr. Peepers is an integral part of me. <laughs> <laughs> he literally gets up on the table. <laughs> it's okay. We sit down. It was not Catan. <laughs> uh, well, let's. I want to talk a little bit about Thirty Rock because you have uh, history with a lot of these folks um, back from the Second City days, right? Mm-hmm. Like with Tina and like Rachel and people like that too. So the role of Pete. Uh, was that that was like created specifically for you by by Tina? I don't think it, it, that was a condition of her writing that character. I think she I think she called me at some point in like two thousand five four five and said, "I'm so I'm writing this pilot, and I'm, I have you in mind for a character. Would you mind doing it with me if we ever do it?" And I said, "Sure, of course." And then months later. Uh, I got invited to an audition um, in California, which uh, went pretty well. But it was—I mean, I was part of a big cattle call, and uh, and then I got a call back, and I went to network, and it was me and two other guys who I respect and, and really think are great, um, and I assumed one of them would get it because they were both more known than I was. Right, and I found myself in the position because they they. When they were before they brought me to network, I had also auditioned for uh, Studio Sixty on the Sunset Strip, oh, wow. which was also about backstage in SNL, and uh, by a by a proven creator. And so I found myself in the position of being called back to both of these things. Oh wow! At the same time, and it would have been I think I was called back for like Matt Perry's role, I believe, and. Uh, and I felt really good about that part. I thought I did it pretty well, and I was confident with it. And there came a point where I had to decide which one I was going to throw my hat in because I couldn't go to both. Right. Uh, and the smart money was on um, Studio Sixty, obviously. Yeah, proven proven track record. Yeah, and he'd just come off the West Wing. Right. And I went with my friend because I loved being around Tina. So uh, I th- thank God I made the right call because <laughs> if I had chosen the other one to add just out of like a concern for money or or fame or, or success or whatever, uh, and the other show had had hit, I and and I didn't get to be with my friends, I would have mm. been driven crazy. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So that must have been. I mean, it's such a great ensemble. Like every every sitcom that kicks ass in my opinion it's like it's not just because there's two leads and everybody else is whatever like it's just such a good combination of people and supporting players and stuff like that too um i'm sure you obviously knew tina um did you have relationships with anybody else in the cast coming into it um my new mcbrayer um he was at second city after tina and myself uh but uh, i'd seen his work on stage and he's obviously very very funny and naturally so and um and then we had improvised together at io in california uh, so we were friendly because we were in the same fraternity or family or whatever you want to call it. Um, and then, did I know anybody else? I knew Kay Cannon, who was a writer, right? Um, from IO in LA. Uh, I thought might be it. I'm gonna forget somebody and feel bad with it. <laughs> we'll add it in post. Just like true. <laughs> well, that was actually a nice thing at the SNL 40 is like Tina and Alec came out to. 
say a word about Tracy, who they were hoping was going to be well enough to be there, but wasn't, mm. which is such a tragic thing. And yeah. like, from what I understand, it's like, he's just not the same. And, uh, he's such like a, like everybody has, who's worked with him has hilarious. Like Tracy Morgan is sort of Tracy Jordan, uh, ridiculous, like completely unpredictable and, but so much, so fun. Like it, was it really like hilarious to work with, with Tracy? Was it, you never knew which Tracy you were going to get from day to day? No, you always knew which Tracy you'd get. He, he, There's a few, obviously, quite a few Tracys. But the one he liked to present was the one who holds court and tells the same jokes he told last time. <laughs> and, uh, and they're funnier because he's repeating them. Mm. And, um, and he's, he's a lover of life. And, and that's what's really sad about his accident, too, is that he's not out there making people laugh because he really loved doing that and he loved sharing his opinion and he had an opinion about everything and uh and he could he could share it in a very genuine way or he could you know say it in such a ridiculous way that it still made sense uh yeah he's a great guy he's a he's a he's a he's a very wise person which you wouldn't expect, but he he hides that behind that kind of like bluff and, and vulgar guy. Right. He would just do some weird things just in general. Like I remember we'd go in Conan and he went on once and he was wearing like a Civil War uniform. Mm-hmm. And he would just periodically go, I fought for the North. <laughs> <laughs> like throw that in. Conan would lose his shit. It's like, Who, what? Why would someone be like, so random and hilarious? And that- I, I heard him on some, I think it must have been some uh, radio show from uh, while he was still on SNL, I think. And he was making the DJs laugh talking about uh, Michael Jackson uh, and and Macaulay Culkin and about, like, uh, you know, if, if if you... if you sucked Michael Jackson's, if Michael Jackson sucked your dick, that's something that you tell everybody. Because <laughs> that is a badge of honor. <laughs> he said it in a much funnier way. That's hilarious. That's so great. Uh, you did, did you guys just do one live episode or did you do two? We did two. Two. What was that experience like? That was, when, that was like being on SNL. Yeah. That was a great thrill, yeah. I had auditioned for SNL in 95, the Will Ferrell, Sherry O'Terry uh, cast and um, and it came down to the wire and and uh, it was I think they delayed the announcing of the cast for a week or two Oy. they couldn't decide between me and somebody else and they decided on him and that, and he was great uh, and so to be an 8H uh, which I visited many times since you know being in New York uh, and it was great to run from one set to the other and do quick changes and uh, feel like an SNL cast member. Yeah. And you had to do them twice in a night, right? Because you did it once for East Coast and once for West. Yeah, with slightly different jokes. Right. And slightly different cameos, I guess, in the second one, too. That's yeah, so yeah. wild. Such, such a crazy thing. Yeah, we had for the, for the East Coast, we had Paul McCartney. For the West Coast, eh, we had Kim Kardashian. Oh, <laughs> Downgrade. <sorry>, Downgrade. <laughs> Which one got better ratings? <laughs> Like, yeah, we're a New York show, so <laughs> that's yeah. those guys. Yeah. You get Kardashians, what you deserve. <laughs> Lap it up, surfers. <laughs> well, it's such a great show, so like, congrats on that and stuff. And, and it ran along the six seasons? Seven. Seven well, seasons? six and a half. The writer's strike got in the way. And then we also had uh, a truncated seventh season. 
And you guys tried a lot of exciting stuff. I mean, the live episodes, but just in general, the show's format was great. Do you have any episodes that stuck out for you as like a particular challenge or the most fun? Um, I liked uh, <laughs> I liked when anybody anybody in the show sings. I think it's funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think Jane was really funny, and her songs were written incredibly great. Um, uh, I, boy, I really like the one where Tina. I'm not in this episode, but but. Uh, Tina goes back to her high school and finds out that she was not the victim. She was the aggressor. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. That's really <laughs> good. I do enjoy the episode where uh, everybody Tracy sees is a puppet. Oh, the Muppet or, one? Yeah, the Muppet one, yeah. Yeah. We have the actual Muppeteers. <gasps> really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's exciting. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, just like the fact that that kind of stuff can happen on network television is, is shows you like how you know great the show really is. Well, it is interesting because it got... We, we developed kind of an intellectual cult following mm-hmm. uh, and entertainment people loved the show and eventually they all wanted to be on it. So it, while it was maybe a struggle in the first season to get people to come on, uh, by the second season it was like guest star. A wait list. Show. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it was like Will and Grace or whatever where there's just a, uh, a guest star on every show that's a really impressive person like you know Jennifer Aniston or, or uh, Oprah. And... So then they were getting all these requests to guest star from huge stars, and a lot of them were music people. So they, uh, Tina and Robert Carlock uh, created an episode where uh, Alan Alda, who is Alex's father, needs a new kidney, and they have a big We Are the World uh, fundraiser. And every person who had written in, Can I Be on Your Show?, uh, was put into one episode. Oh <laughs> nice. my gosh! So there's one day Smart. where you know I went to work and there was Sheryl Crow and Moby and the Beastie Boys <sighs> and you know um, the Doobie Brothers and and just all these amazing people. Cindy Lauper was there. Oh my gosh! What a delight as a writer too to be like we're gonna write this down and it's gonna happen. Yeah. Like all these names, it's gonna happen and we get an excuse to make that. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, because usually you write it down in the script and like, there's no way. We'll, we'll end up with a carrot top. No offense to carrot. My, my friend Dino Stamatopoulos uh, was there at the inception of Conan, and it was his first show with a with a big budget. Or maybe it was, oh, you know what, it might have been the Ben Stiller show, which was a, his first TV show as a writer. And he said he found himself writing a scene where a horse gets pushed out of a helicopter, and then they did it. <laughs> <laughs> And it was a dummy horse, obviously, but they had the helicopter. Oh, they had a big dummy my horse. God. And it was the first time he said, wow, I, so I just write it down. And, and it happened. won't happen. And then people make it out. <laughs> That's a trip. <laughs> That's crazy. It was sort of like we had like maybe in year seven or eight of Sketchfest, we had Robert Smigel, and he did like a TV, like a live TV funhouse thing with like Triumph and the Anna Pals. And Doug. I was in it. That's right. You were there for that. Yeah. And like. I, Smigel was great, but like I just remember, like constantly, he'd be like, "I need, I need like four ducks, like four. <laughs> somebody go get four ducks, like they were hanging away." And I was like, "Oh, because he's he'll he'll write these things down, and they happen." Yeah, <laughs> and we're like running around, be like, "I don't know where to get ducks. Where do I get ducks? <laughs> What's going to happen to the ducks?" Right. Oh yeah, That's that great. was a great night too. Because that was really fun. I had, I had met Robert maybe twice before that night, but not in any real genuine way, and. I found myself because my friend Dino was writing with with uh, Smigel, and uh, and there were maybe two other people. And Dino had been on TV Funhouse as a puppeteer, and 
I found myself crouching next to Smigel doing Triumph, and I was holding up a rooster or something, and doing dialogue and stuff, and watching Robert kind of giggle into his own jokes because <laughs> right. he. <laughs> he loves his jokes. <laughs> he really loves reading his own jokes. And he's back there behind the behind the blind going down the list of stuff we had all worked on in the hotel room, you know, an hour earlier. And uh and it was it was very heady to to cuz I love Triumph. And to look over and see Robert, you know, crouching down there in a very kind of vulnerable position and awkwardly trying to manipulate the puppet and hold his script and try to get a the arm up for triumph. It was really, it was a great experience. Yeah, he did like they did a at the first uh, whatever that comedy festival that Jack Black runs in LA. The first one down on the pier. Uh, he did a triumph thing there, and I guess the joke that really resonated with people is he said something like, "I haven't seen this many white men, young white males since UCB Herald auditions." Just <laughs> 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 like so area specific. Yeah. Like, like yeah, it's so good. So good. <laughs> well, let's do first. All okay. right? We do this every podcast, a different first from life, uh, and this kind of ties into uh, Big Hero Six in a sense. What was the first animated movie you fell in love with in life? Like, what's the first one you can remember really being into? Oh uh, wow. Um, maybe the Aristocats. Ooh. Nice. You know, you guys know that one. Yeah, right? I just showed it. Like my baby doesn't really have an attention span. He's a little baby, and I don't usually show him screen time. But when we were, we drove to Vegas, and I kept showing him clips of it, and he was delighted by it. Yeah, it was so it's great. It's great music, and yeah, I don't remember the I don't remember the plot or the characters very well. I just remember being obsessed with it for a while. Also, oh, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Oh, really? yes. Oh, my gosh. That was, I think, the first one I really started, like, drawing the characters and stuff. From yeah. That. that movie was so magical. So magical. What was yours, Vanessa? Um, well, that makes me wonder if it was Bedknobs and Broomsticks, but I was thinking that my first thought was An, an American Tale with Fievel, Um which is kind of surprising because I would have thought it would be a Disney movie because... I know, like, I have those memorized, and the songs are such a part of my head. But that one, I just remember, like, loving it. I know I saw it in the theater with my dad when I was little, and um, I was just really taken with it. Some kids, their first first cartoon was Watership Down. Imagine that. Oh, my gosh, and you're broken forever. You're <laughs> well, never I mean, Similar to that, I think mine was uh, The Last Unicorn, which I was really obsessed with. Oh, my with. gosh. I don't know that one. Oh. Which is, uh, it's really it's dark. It's a dark, dark um, <laughs> Yeah, it's just like... It's about genocide? It is. It's a, well, Mia Farrell is the voice of this last unicorn. She's the last and like unicorn. This, the red bull is this like beast that's like rounding up all the unicorns and driving them into the sea. So they're all in the sea now. And she's the last one, so they're trying to get her... They're trying to slaughter all the unicorns. And, they become uh, narwhals? Yeah, uh, I wish. <laughs> they're the waves that you see crashing in or the, the unicorn's manes or whatever. Oh, it's a nice uh, thought, but that's not true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and Alan Arkin is this wizard and Jeff Bridges is this prince. And it's really dark, but I loved it. It was Rankin Bass in the animation. Uh-huh. It was either that or Disney's Robin Hood because I loved oh, that. I remember that too. Like, yeah. that I, I just rewatched that. Um, it's my favorite Disney It's movie. so good. I, I forgot. Like, you know when you revisit something and it wakes up the part of your brain that had memorized the whole thing? Like that Robin Hood and Little John running through the forest. When I was watching it, I was like, I know all the words to oodle oodle it's always been in there you'll yep. never leave that's a great movie yep and that's like my phil harris was like my favorite like mm. voiceover disney guy like he's just so good yeah blue and little john and the aristocat guy whose name i'm forgetting <laughs> uh but he's he was great yeah i love that movie um, let's do my uh, my question. We're going to do a okay. build a movie. These are fun. Uh, so the three of us together are going to build a fictitious movie that doesn't exist. Uh, there's no budgetary constraints. Anybody mm-hmm. can be in this. Uh, but we're going to build the worst January, February studio mistake dump-off movie we can think of. Because right now is the time where the 
crap. The studios don't have confidence and get dumped off like Jupiter Ascending, which like did not do well at all. Um, or or they they sometimes are smart and they open those Leslie Nielsen movies or Leslie Nielsen uh, Liam Neeson movies that uh, tend to do well. But in general, it's like if something comes out in January, you know, it's not going to be good. So uh, let's together let's put together what we think would potentially be one of these films. Okay. Uh, Vanessa, you want to start it off with adding a, either a plot element or an actor? Oh, those are my choices. I was going to say it takes place on Mars. That's fine. Okay, great. Sure. <laughs> it's on Mars. That's what I've got to begin with. Oh, and um, it's based on a different piece of Twilight fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It takes place on Mars mm-hmm. based on a Twilight fanfic mm-hmm. piece. It is live action. But some characters are CGI. Oh, human characters. <laughs> In fact, nice. it is it is um, the, the 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 CGI Jeff Bridges from Tron Two mm-hmm. in a different role. Oh nice. no! <laughs> they had a little extra. <laughs> yeah, he plays uh, he plays a Martian because mm. uh, like they discover life. That's Maybe like King of Martians. Uh, yeah, he's a king of the Martians, CGI'd. And then the astronaut, the main astronaut that discovers all this is played by Adrian Brody. Oh. Good. And let's cast Kat Dennings as the uh, Bella-turned-Anna character. You know, the Twilight, the female woman that bites her lip a lot. And the motion capture for the Jeff Bridges character uh, is played by... Um, <laughs> Let's say uh, Ed McMahon's uh, widow. Oh, nice! <laughs> <laughs> uh, they couldn't get Andy Circus. He's not no, involved no. in the motion he's capture. Like, no you, thanks. He's like, no, <laughs> no thank you. Uh, so the the crew. There's a couple other. Uh, there's the, there's a science officer um, who is played by Paul Giamatti. Uh, he's listed as and Paul Giamatti. He's mm-hmm. got like four scenes before he discovers a terrible secret beneath the surface and is. Killed off like Brian Cranston. Yep. Delta Burke plays Kat Jennings' mother, uh, who sends her to space because she, the mother, is a single mother. She's been divorced and remarried a million times, and she just can't have Kat there while her new husband Mike moves in. Uh, the rocket ship she's in is has got a surfer dude personality, <laughs> and it sings. Ooh, even just saying surfer dude is kind of gross. <laughs> it's a real surfer dude kind of thing. Um, okay. All the, the other original songs, though, and score are all by the same person. It's all done by, uh, let's say, Moby. Um, Could be worse. Yeah. Like, it's not a bad score. The score is good. Um, but the lyrics, he didn't write the lyrics. He hired somebody <laughs> to write the lyrics. Um, it's, uh, let's, uh, I'm trying to think of somebody good to do this. Mm. Um, Shell Silverstein. Yeah, Shell Silverstein wrote all the lyrics. Even though I think he might be dead. Um, but yeah. No, they can just lift the lyrics from any of his work. Uh, I think it should be called like Mars, Morning Mars Pain. What? Morning Mars Pain. Because it's like Twilight is like a time and Fifty Shades of Grey. I think it it's Morning Mars Pain. It's a good name. I don't think that's going to fly. Right. Uh, that's the whole point, isn't <laughs> <you> it? <laughs> All right, Morning Mars Pain. It's the, the prequel. Oh, that's nice. They, they yeah. call the prequel. They don't have a sequel. <laughs> but something will... They're hoping it will be a franchise. It's yeah. directed by P.T. Anderson, not not Paul Thomas Anderson, not 
like the guy that did like Event Horizon and did all those like really bad sci-fi. US. Is that what it is? You talking about uh, uh, Mortal Kombat guy? Yeah, that guy. He's just a journeyman action sci-fi director. All his movies are two stars well, or or worse. I think this is a good film. He comes in under budget. We have a villain. Oh, Jeff Bridges is the villain. Uh, he's a Martian. Sounds like no, a villain. No, I, I, I don't think he's a villain. I think the villain should be uh, uh, a, a, a very uh, avuncular mm. uh, man who is uh, sexy. Okay. And uh, pulls in a lot of people just with his seductive tone. Uh, but he's played by Louis Black. Oh, great. That's a beautiful casting decision. We're going out on a limb with this one, but I think it'll work. I feel like we could make Michael Sheen look weird and sexy in those Twilight and Underworld movies. Let's give it a shot with Louis Black. Well, I won't be showing up for this. Morning Mars, Pam. Bombing next January (laughs) at a theater near you. All right, The the, the, uh, first review will be uh, Mars a Pan. This will be the headline. There it is. There it is. Vanity Fair. Um, <laughs> okay, these are my questions. They're hard. Uh, have you ever met an Olsen twin? No, I've seen them in the street. In, in the New wild. York? Yeah. Just scurrying? Yeah, well, no, I don't think they scurry, but they standing on the corner looking important, Ooh. but trying not to be seen. Look at me, don't look at me. Oh, that's what they're good at, yeah. those little ones. You've never gotten closer? Uh, no. Okay. I don't want Well, that's still okay. Uh... Okay, if you could live as any of the characters you've voiced, but in any other reality you've worked in, like Baymax at 30 Rock, what would you do? <laughs> um, I would do Clay Puppington from Moral Oral <laughs> uh, at, uh, at 30 Rock, I think, because he's, he's vicious. I think he'd survive very well. Yeah, That's... he would win. <laughs> uh, okay, if you could have any cho- toy as a child, what would it be? And any toy now, what would it be? Are you asking if I... If, when I was a child, I could have had any toy. Yes. What would it have been? Yes, and now, and then currently, what would it be? It's like a toy wish. Uh, <laughs> Baby then and now. <laughs> I think uh, a real uh, Ernie Muppet. Ooh. Not like the, the plastic one you buy, yeah. but uh, one of the actuals. That would yeah. have been great. And now... Um, a Burt Puppet. You've got me <laughs> No! <laughs> uh... Nobody's team Bert. Uh, I don't know. Maybe a, maybe a, gee, I would like a, a, the TARDIS console life oh. size from the Tom Baker era. Baby's all grown up. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> uh, okay. Hmm. I was stretching it with these. Uh, okay. This is a supervillain kind of question. If you could, it's still your soul, but you get to live in any celebrity's body and have any evil power. Who would, you, who would you be in and turn into a villain? Does that make Nope, I don't sense? understand. Okay, so you could live in John Travolta's body and shoot fire. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. But John Travolta still exists. You just have, you live in one too. This question brought to you by cocaine. <laughs> Mama's got to stay awake. Um, I would be in uh, Alec Guinness's younger body. Ooh. And, uh, and I can uh, tell when you're lying. What a force to reckon with. Imagine being caught on an elevator with that. <laughs> what have I done? Uh, okay. It was you. This is your final question, and it's the most grounded. Um, you've angered a wizard, 
and you he's giving you a choice between two options because he's an evil wizard, but he still he wants to see you squirm a bit. You can either spend one year on a reality TV show about your life as an actor, following you to auditions and getting how did it go when you come out, <laughs> or your entire head, including like eyelids, everything is covered in long coarse hair for a year. That you can shave, but it grows back immediately, like one of those Play-Doh spaghetti smushes. Oh, well, I'll take that. I'll take. Oh, the, really? Yeah, I don't. I don't want to be on a reality show. <laughs> uh, Hairhead. Oh, yeah, I will take a hairhead. I haven't had that in a while. Um, <laughs> I could use the eyelashes and just a comb over. Um, yeah, but a reality show, I think, would would ruin my chances as an actor if I if I You're present like, myself to the world as coming? an actor. <laughs> yeah, that's about the cringiest thing that could yeah. happen. Um, well, you did it. You, you answered my questions. Good yep, job. Good job. You made it all the way through the podcast, Scott. Wow. You did it. Um, are you on Twitter? No. So don't follow Scott on Twitter because no. he's not there. There is a Scott Adson on Twitter. I think it's a high school kid, though. <laughs> and there's somebody who, who pretended to be me uh, and started a Scott Adson, and uh, they put something up about masturbating. It wasn't <gasps> me. They put something about like masturbating with sand or something. I can't remember what it was. Which you're a big fan of, but you're like not going to post about it. No, I want that's my secret. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you guys, go see Big Hero Six is still hoping worldwide. It's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD like shortly. Like I believe this month it's in like, digital download now. Yep, and uh, Blu-ray at the end of the month. So nice. awesome. Yep. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Cole Strad. I'm at Vanessa Ragland. The podcast is at PMC Podcast. Thank you guys for listening, and thanks for being here, Scott. Thank you. Yay! Subscribe to the Pop My Culture Podcast on iTunes. Check us out online at popmyculturepodcast.com, and follow us on Twitter at PMC Podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh-huh.